So I really like Reunion. I think it's a great episode. Okay. But I wish that they had titled it Tiny Wharf. They should have called it Tiny Wharf. Because Alexander's just adorable. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really sad because I think that they recast him Oh, after this. See, when I was watching it, all I could think about was Chucky from the Child's Play movies. Like, it, it looked a little... I don't know. There was something. He did pre- look a little bit like that, actually. Yeah, like he just didn't look like when when they when they first put him. I thought it was like a model or a doll or something like that because he was standing still. And it's just the the head makeup. It's that's mostly it. Like the makeup on his on his the forehead makes his head look a lot way too big for his body. And you just have to wonder logistically. You know, there's all these rules and laws and regulations about child actors and, you know, how long they can act yeah. and how long they can stay on set and, you know, what they can do and what they can't do. And so if you have a child who needs to play a child Klingon, you know, can they – like, how how does that work? I mean, like, it takes so long to put the makeup on yeah. and take the makeup off that could he only act for, like, 20 minutes a day? It seems really weird. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. I also wonder about, because I want to talk about Alexander first, because that's the least interesting part of this episode. Okay, see, I didn't remember at all his name. Well, I know his name because, like, spoiler alert, he comes I, back. I was going to say, I assume he, you know, given how the show is progressing, he's go- we're going to see him again. Right, we do see him again. And, and again, these were also both fairly dense continuity-wise episodes. Yeah, I would say, well, less less with Future Imperfect. But the but worst, anyway, continue. We'll get to that. Yeah. Um, and, and what I, what I think is really, uh, uh, weird about Alexander is, you know, it raises issues about like fudging time a little bit because, you know, Kaylair, this was only her second appearance and she, she dies at the end of the episode and everyone loves Kaylair. She's a great character. She's very memorable, even though she only ever made two appearances on the show. Now this was the, this was the other episode when like she and he are fighting and the emissary. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a good episode. Yeah. And that was, I guess you could, you know, fudge it and say it was two years ago. Alexander looks to be like four. So it seems very, like, I'm not sure. I don't know. The implication I got was that that was, I almost got the implication that she had had the child, you know, when she visited in the emissary almost. And she was kind of keeping that from him or she didn't bring the kid with her that time. You know, let's, because, I mean, in, in. The the kid is about six or seven, you know. I and, actually like that reading because it kind of ties in thematically with what's going on in the episode with Duras. You know, yeah. everything. The episode is really about secrets. You know, Duras uh, 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 was hiding the the you know discommodate not discommodation, but the sort of uh, treason that his father committed and was framing someone else. You know, we saw that last season in Sins of the Father. And, you know, then we see someone is poisoning uh, Kamek and we don't know who, you know, there's all these sort of like things going on that it's all it's all an episode that really seems to say a lot about Klingon culture, which is that they like appearances, but they very much behind the scenes do a lot of shit that they don't want anybody else to know. Yeah, there's. I, I mean, the, it seems every Klingon episode we have a new ritual or something. I mean, it's this highly stylized society. It's a very highly ritualized society, and it is very surfacey, very talk. You know, honor is the most important thing to a Klingon, but honor is not. Honor doesn't have a private face component to much of the Klingons. Like for Worf, Worf is very much what he is doing when he is by himself. Is affects his honor just as much as it does something he's doing in front of, you know, the Klingon Council. You know, both are equally, you know, an offense to honor or not. And for many of the Klingons, for people like Duras, as long as he's doing the forms of everything properly, he can do whatever he wants as long as he doesn't get caught. And his own personal honor is not a thing. Yeah, and I I like that because I think that there's a tendency in Star Trek to to make – uh, alien cultures monolithic and to make uh, you know aliens representatives of entire yeah. cultures and everyone acts the same and w- what I like about sort of how Klingons are being developed you know in the next generation is that you have very different Klingons who have very different motivations and, and that's believable because yeah. you know they're their own people you know and, and we don't uh, we don't ever really get a sense of Duras really. I mean, we we kind of do. We know enough about him to know that he is probably not a nice guy, no, and that he is willing to uh, power hungry, ambitious. I yeah. mean, he murders Kaylair. You know um, how he thought he was going to get away with that. I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, even if Worf didn't kill him in in vengeance, uh, it, it seems likely that 
you know, the security staff would have gone, oh, okay, well, Duras killed him, so Picard would have had him arrested. I mean, you know, so that seems strange to me. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the implication seem... is that once, you know, the next while for Klingons, Klingon society is, if that's not, you know, if things aren't handled very well, you know, the Klingon society is going to be busy enough that they kind of won't have time to investigate that murder and Ross will be on the throne anyway. You know, I, that was kind of the I implication they got. And, you know, p- putting Picard as this mediator position stalls, confuses things, complicates things in a way that, you know, having another Klingon do with the ceremony or having somebody, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's Kim Beck's plan, really. That's why he chooses Picard to do this because he figures it's the best chance for the Empire, in a way. I mean, I think it's very interesting that Capek acts as if war with the Federation is the worst thing possible, which a generation ago was not the case. You know, that's what Klingon society was doing, but now he wants to avoid it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, from what we've seen of Klingon culture and the way the Klingons yeah. are governed, you know, they have this high council and they, you know, Kim Peck was the, was the, the chairman or whatever. Um, and apparently they have an emperor, but we don't know if we ever see him or not. Um, and so there's, there's levels within levels here. Right. And so yeah. then you have sort of this council that does things and it's all very, it feels very autocratic and it feels very uh, ritualized and it feels very stylized in a way. And and what I what I like about Kim Peck in the two appearances that we see him is that, um, and you know, and also speaking frankly, that uh, the show is able to have a bunch of characters that this is only their second appearance, and we remember them, and not only we remember them, they they have very strong characterizations. And also the show, but not only that, the show makes it very. If you didn't see the first episode, if you haven't been following this kind of arc, uh you, you still know what's going on. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of that sort of like as you know. Yeah, you know, but stuff, it's done but fair. But it's done very well. It's it, it's very unobtrusive. Yeah. I think if you had never seen an episode of of the Next Generation before and sat down and watched this episode, I think it would make sense. And uh, it, well, I know that because I watched it with someone, so they, they don't see a lot of Star Trek. So you know, it did make yeah. sense to him. Um, and 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 the other thing about it is, of of course, is that the show is really delving into serial serialization in a way yeah. right and and this is something that the show i think as i'm watching the next generation now uh you know over again with fresh eyes i think it's interesting to see how much the show is weaving sort of past events in and we've this is another yeah. thing we've talked about before but i think the klingon arc is definitely the most serialized the show is getting. There are very direct references to Picard's actions, yes. you know, Duras trying to have Picard killed, Worf's brother, Kaylair. Yeah, this it's is just... tying together three or two or three episodes. It's that's again for the rest of the, sh- you know, the way the rest of the show is gone and for how standalone this episode is. It's ta- it doesn't really forget about anything, anything that they put out in the show could be taken back later. And I know there's, uh, you know, that whole alien mind worm thing from the first season, that doesn't get taken back, but it could. You know, I think what I like about this show is that if they did want to make an episode which was a follow-up to that, they very easily could have done that, and they might have done that. You know, they they do that enough times. Yeah, this really does feel like an intermediate step between the, the very anthology-based, yeah. you know, style that the original series was, and most television was at that time, to a more integrated sort of serialized but still standalone. And now, you know, in the 2010s, we have shows which are completely serialized and make absolutely no sense yeah. if you haven't sat down and watched it from the beginning. You know, and I have my problems with with that kind of storytelling because I think yeah. that it 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 presumes that individual episodes aren't as aren't as important as the whole. And so what happens a lot of times is you get these seasons of television that as you're watching them week to week, they feel very unsatisfying until you get to the last part of the season and then everything sort of locks together. Um, You know, that's not how I like to watch television usually, you know? And so for me watching the next generation, watching two episodes a week, you really get to see a show, which, you know, at, at its, at the, the height of its game, which is, it is right now is able to, tell a serialized story and is able to reference past events and, and, and build on them, but still make each episode that deals with that continuing storyline, a singular story that has a beginning, a middle and an end. It feels satisfying as an episode. And yes, 
you get the sense that they will follow up on this in the future. I, I but mean, it seems almost more like a world building thing than a story telling device in a way like the I think it's both. Yeah. Um I mean original series you could tell that the bible for that show was very small. It had some basic character notes about everybody and me, you know, but that was it and you know just seemed you could you know write a script and as long as there were a couple like as long as Spock was always Vulcan and as long as Kirk was always impulsive as you know like as long as you hit a couple of things it could be within a very large range, and you didn't have to have a strict continuity. You know, you didn't have to worry about. You know, you could give Kirk a brother for an episode and never worry about it again. Um, and this show, while it doesn't feel like it started with very detailed histories, like I think if you'd ask the season one staff about, you know, Picard's brother, they would give you a blank look. But they, it feels like they've kept a gigantic folder and they've put every single script in there, and every time they write a new script. You know, somebody's going to page through to say, oh, well, can we, you know, can, can, can we pick something up there? Or, you know, I really liked that episode and I'd like to see what that character is doing next. You know, they – I like that there's a lot more of that. It feels much a much richer show. It places the show in – there's times that the Enterprise and whatever planet they're on, you know, in the first – in the original series feels like the only thing in the universe. This you have a sense of – Stuff's happening outside. It's not just the Enterprise that's important here. It's the entire Federation. It's the entire galaxy. Yeah, and it's also the fact of the matter is that, you know, when when you're dealing with such high-level stuff, I mean, there is a there is a tendency for, for television shows like this to always feel a little enclosed. And I think that this episode... It doesn't escape that, you know, I mean, yeah. because you have Kemp Peck, who is the chancellor of the Klingon Empire, which is probably like the Federation president, you know, showing up, asking Picard to do yeah. this. You know, it, there there is some element of 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 insularity to this. But I, I agree with you that it does make the show feel a little bigger and it does make it feel like there's import to what they're doing outside yeah. of this. Because, you know, you have uh, Picard being asked to mediate uh the 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 Klingon right of succession which is very interesting and very important and I think it says a lot about Kim Peck as a person yeah. and how he views Picard Picard was able to you know it builds on the respect that Picard is yeah. able to engender in Kim Peck and sins of the father uh, yeah I mean to be fair it you know yes it happens to be the main character but yeah there are enough there are storyline reasons why you would pick and Picard at this point it's he he still is the guy who saved Earth from the Borg. I mean, he is still very, you know, another thing about this show is that it remembers what the characters did. And so, yeah, Picard is really fucking famous right now. Yeah, absolutely. You I mean, know, he's, he's, he's even famous, you know, probably in the Klingon Empire. Yeah. Uh, you know, for very different reasons than Kirk was famous in the Klingon Empire, for example. Of course. And then, of course, you also have all this stuff about the Romulans and what's going on there. And, you know, why would Duras be interested in the alliance with the Romulans? You know, we don't know. Why would the Romulans be interested in the alliance with the Klingons? We don't really know. And I like that. I like the fact that the show doesn't exactly ignore those questions, but sort of shunts them off to the side and says, you know what, that's not really what's important here. Yeah. Um, what's important is how this motivated the plot and how this sort of stuff gets put into motion. And again, the show could give us another episode where we find out the reasons because, you know, at the end of the episode, Worf is still uh, dis excommunicated or uh, discommendated. Dis he is, is still discommendated. He still hasn't proven how far this conspiracy goes. I mean, there is another episode in there where he uncovers a little more and finds out why everybody's been collaborating with the Romulans for the past 20 years, you know? That's yeah, and, that's that's certainly very possible for it to do. But sure. if the show doesn't particularly go into that, that's okay, too. Yeah, and I think, you know, the show has sort of set that up as as possibly not a direction it's going to go in just because Duras is dead and, yeah. and Galron, this new character who we don't know anything about, really, um, is, is now the Klingon Chancellor. And, so, And see, it's funny. I thought that the episode was going to make Duras innocent of the murder and Garon the one who is you know, making these schemes because I, I don't know, like as, as, as like a way to frame Duras or something. Just, just, I mean, just in the sense that I think Klingon, you know, I, I get the sense that everybody in the Klingon, you know, in Klingon politics is backstabbing each other and doing horrible things. Sure. And so, you know, to see, you know, this, we see, you know, it, I guess it, in the terms of a twist and maybe it's a twist to have a twist, but you know, we know Duras is evil. We know we hate Duras. We know he's 
you know, a very bad person. And here's another bad thing he's done. And it's the one we expected at the end. You know, that scene when Worf says, you know, I don't know Garon, but, you know, Duras, I know him, you know. And, it almost like, that seemed like it was setting up for, you know, that kind of out of nowhere. Well, no, you know, both of them are bad, you know. It's not like, in this we get the evil Klingon out of the way and the good Klingon is on the ship, uh, is in the council. That could be. I don't know. And and I think that, you know, w- w- what you see in this episode, you know, they set this thing up with the with the Klingon Civil War and, and Kampak is very worried about yeah. this. And there's all these rival factions, you know, and Garon and Duras are obviously supposed to be the, the two leaders of the rival factions. Um, you know, now that Duras is dead and, 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 and Garon is chancellor, you know, perhaps that is going to be resolved um, behind the scenes. We don't really know. Yeah. And, and you know, the show ends it with uh, Garon, I think, kind of being... Not a non-entity, but he's the least important part of the episode. Yeah. And at the very end of the episode, he is the chancellor. So if they continue this Klingon storyline, we will probably see yes. him at some point. But you know, we, mean, we don't know to what degree he's at. We don't know how, what kind of chancellor he's going to be in a, in a sense. I mean, here's the thing. Duras, we have a good sense of his personality. And even if he is you know, a hissing snake, he is at least something. The previous emperor, I mean, he's awesome in this episode. I like his manipulations of Kirk, of of Picard, how he basically forces him into this role he doesn't want. And that may not even be that. I think when, you know, Picard says it's not really appropriate, that's actually kind of true. This really isn't the Federation's place to do this. But, you know, the emperor, the, 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 whatever the hell his title is, you know, the CEO of Klingon, you know, basically sets it up so that way Picard has to do this. He manipulates him in a way that he can't get in trouble for in a way because what is it, you know... What is he going to say? Yeah. Really? You know, the, you the, know. And I like that. I, I do like, you know, stories where characters do manipulate each other in that way. And, and, he's, and he's a very strong and formidable character even as he's dying. And Garon, we don't have any... He doesn't have the personality to be emperor, I guess. I mean, well, he's not the emperor, but... I don't know what any of these titles are. Chancellor. Chancellor. He's the chancellor, the head okay. of the council. Um, come on, get with it. Uh, it's hard. You're I, like you're like, you're like, like 65% there. You're almost there. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> in, in another two years when we're in Deep Space Nine, you're going to be rattling off facts about the gross tonnage of starships and phaser power and, you know, speculating about quantum torpedoes and all kinds of stuff. It's going to be amazing. Wait. It's uh, going to yeah. be the worst show It's going to be a very different show in two years. Um, and then in three years, we'll have the Tuvok show. <laughs> Yeah, and then, well, Gavron is interesting, I think, because, like I said, we just don't know anything about yeah. him, aside from the fact that he has crazy eyes. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know, we'll, we, I, you know, I don't want to beat around the bush. We will get to see more of Gavron. Yeah. Um, but the thing about, the thing about Gowron is, is, is he's less interesting as a character in this episode and he's more interesting as a, as a future plot point, I guess. Yeah, is, is he, the point. he is kind of a plot device in this episode. He is kind of just. You need somebody to be opposing Duras, and because the show does not in because the show is not interested in doing anything other than Duras is evil right now. Right. I guess it, yeah, it really it doesn't. I don't feel like it hurt the episode because Garon is is a non-entity, and frankly, it wasn't until now that I realized you know I don't know anything about this guy. So yeah, yeah, you know that that I guess speaks to the episode's credit that, and also you know frankly that may be how Galron has gotten as high as he has. That's you know? true. We we all know people that are sort of ciphers and just sort of use that and use that sort of personality to to get ahead, and then suddenly when they're in positions of power, you find out who they really are, and yeah. you're like, what the hell? Where did this come from? Um, but you know, I think it's funny because, you know, Kim Peck obviously is choosing Picard for, for selfish reasons. He's also choosing Picard for very strategic reasons, but, but what I like yeah. about it is that it doesn't feel like a choice that is wrong. I mean, Picard obviously has it in him to dominate Klingons. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I love that line where, you know, he, he hails the ships and, and, and Duras is, you know, sputtering and saying things about what the delay is. And Picard, you know, basically says, shut the fuck up. Like this is, I, there's no delay. Like I chose the time, get, get over yeah. it, you know? Um, he does things like that all the time and yeah, he is not, Picard is not afraid and he doesn't, Picard has been given power. Picard has power and he knows how to use his power. I mean, he has the right to set whatever time to do a lesser captain, a captain less sure of himself 
might have changed the meeting back to whatever time DeRoss wanted to, you know, right. but he knows that he has the right to do this. And I also think that there's a degree to which Picard is playing a little bit of a role here. Yes. You know, he knows that he needs to act a certain way to, to gain the Klingons' respect or at least not to lose them entirely. And he also has an interest in stalling, let's face it. Yeah, true. Um, he wants as much investigation to occur and so, you know, like even he goes to the longer form of the ceremony because, you know, because of the implication, well, this will take days, you know, we need as much time as we can. We want to, he would much rather have the, mur- you know, the murder of the chancellor solved because once the murder of the chancellor solved, whichever one did it cannot get the throne and kind of that, that, that solves the contest by default. And right. his way of. You know, dealing with this responsibility involves getting out of it in a way. And let's not even say that it's his idea. It's Kaler's idea, right? And oh, yeah. What I like about that is it really reveals sort of some subtleties of her personality. Yeah, because she, the way, you know, she, she alerts Picard to this old form by saying, you know, modern forms. And he picks up where she's hinting. You know, she never tells him to do anything directly, but she does. You know, I mean, she's a much better, she's a very good manipulator herself. Yeah, you don't get to be an, you know, an ambassador without being manipulative in some degree, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it really, you know, we haven't talked about Worf and Kaler and their son a lot in this episode, but I think that what I like about it is that, you know, Worf is, as we've talked about before, he is the uber Klingon. He's like the convert, right? He's, yeah. he's the born-again Klingon. He's he's very into being a Klingon at all times. He really considers honor to be utmost. You know, he doesn't understand the subtleties of Klingon politics, I don't think, as much as, as Kaler does, certainly. And... You know, he's not stupid. I'm not saying Worf is stupid, but... Well, it's, it's again, it's, I think a lot of it is the way he views honor. Again, for Worf, there's a continuity. Worf has an integrity to him. Again, who he is at any moment is who he is. Well, what I, and, what I yeah. think is that Worf views... He, he sees the notes of yeah. Klingon culture, but he doesn't really know the music of Klingon culture. And so... See, I'm not sure. I th- I almost wonder if he thinks that Klingons believe everything they say, and he believes that Klingon culture is this monolithic entity that he believes in. And you know, he's starting to see now that it yeah. is not that way, but he still does believe in it, and he still believes that every Klingon should act in that way. And when they don't, it confuses him. But in a way, then he, I would say, he has more of the original spirit of these, you know, of this culture in him. Again, for. You know, oh, sure, yeah. If, if, if a, I mean, any Klingon would pay lip service to the fact of honor is important and, you know, honor is everything. And Worf is the one who tries to live that every moment of his life. The people who are on Klingon bend that and are the ones who are, in a way, not acting Klingon at times. You know, it's Worf does not do anything that would dishonor his Klingonness, or at least he tries not to. Um, Duras is collaborating with Romulans, is poisoning people, is, you know, doing all of these things that, you know, I think Worf says, you know, he does not have a Klingon heart at one point. Well, Worf is the true believer and everybody else, you know, is actually in the trenches, right? Yeah. And that's good. I think in a way it it clarifies matters for the audience, I think, is, you know, Worf is a good, you know, ironically enough, Worf is a good uh, audience surrogate for understanding Klingon culture, even though he is a Klingon. Uh, and I also think that, you know, there's a there's a degree to which we're supposed to view Kaler and Duras and Gowron and Kempek and all these other Klingons as sort of um, tainted in a way because they are in this, you know, neck deep and they yeah. have to, uh, you know, sort of not exactly be the most uh upstanding Klingons. Well, I mean look at I the mean, way look at the way Duras and Garon act when Worf walks into the conference yeah. room. They're obviously putting on an act. I mean, you know, it's 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 all to sort of like showmanship and showboating yeah. and they want to be like the best they want to look like the best Klingons they can be, but behind the scenes they're acting like Ferengi. But, which is yeah. what someone in the, in the I would say that's says. what Claire says, you know. But it's actually I almost wonder if that then there's almost a suggestion that everybody because remember back to the episode when and which was it where the Klingons go onto the Enterprise and they like are trying to start war with the Federation just because kind of and, part of glory I yeah think. yeah from um, the first season and you know and, and you know Star Trek Six goes into this um, 
there is a degree to which Klingons are not sure how to to which degree to be warlike and where honor does come from in war. I mean, for the Klingons in Card of Glory, they view Worf as, you know, almost a traitor for working with the Federation, and they think that to be Klingon is to be fighting. Right. Um, here we have the Chancellor, and for all intents and purposes, the Chancellor in this episode is what Klingon is. And he's saying, you know, well, war with the Federation would be a very bad idea. You know, that would be, the le- you know, the worst thing for Klingons to do, and which is the show's point of view, and which is, you know, my point of view, and all of that. But, you know, for those then... War is two very different things. I mean, there is the implication that war for its... Some Klingons believe that war for its own sake is good and glory in any battle is good. And others view that, you know, well, no, we need to... You know, you can't just attack indiscriminately. You need to... There is no honor in just fighting for the sake of fighting. And then... That's certainly what Worf believes. Yeah. You could see somebody like Duras thinking that that is a you know, self-castration and that, you know, may, no, maybe we do need to be more lore-like. I mean, maybe he's working with the Romulans because, you know, well, between the two of us, we could get the rest of the galaxy, you know? Maybe they're allying with the Romulans to take over, you know, with the Federation as the first step. But obviously, you know, Duras would want a war with the Federation because he thinks he would win. Yeah, I think so. And, and I th- again, and with the Romulans and the Klingons in concert, they probably would have a good chance. Yeah, I'm sure they would. You know, and, and the and the Federation, of course, would have their own allies. But yeah, but, yeah. but we t- we take we take Romulans as threats. We take Klingons as threats. So you know, working yeah. together, that would double it. And I think you know, at the end of the episode, we're left with uh, that not happening. Of course, we're left with Duras dead and, yeah. and Kaylair dead, unfortunately, and uh, Worf having a son who he sends away to live with his human parents, which I find interesting. Aww. And she could get the uh, bloodworm pudding or whatever again. <laughs> yeah. And we have Gowron, who we don't know much about. And so what is the outcome of this? You know, is the Klingon Civil War really averted? We don't know. I think it, I only think it would because if one I got the sense that if one, you know, if Gowron or Duras killed the other, then that would kind of give his group a reason and the right to seek vengeance on the other group. And that's like kind of I thought where that would come. And if Worf kills Duras, then you know, again, Gowron winning by default. Well, a complete out, someone who is completely rogue killed him, and they don't have the right to, in a way. That's an interesting reading of Klingon culture that I don't know that I agree with. Okay. Because I think that if Duras or Gowron had fought and one had killed the other, you know, my reading of Klingon culture is always that would have been an honorable death and that would have been the end of their disagreements. And so that is the purest distillation of who is actually right or who is actually going to win that conflict. Yeah, but then you can have revenge feuds going in. Aren't, aren't. Well, it, but it's not— I mean, are, it's is, not, is one of Duras—if Gowron killed Duras, would one of Duras's relatives have the right to challenge Gowron? I mean— But it's not personal. I think that's the difference, right? Yeah. It's it's a, it's a political disagreement. It's not a personal disagreement. Yeah, 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 and yeah. So, so if there's Worf, a blood fleet feud clause, it would not be invoked there. Right. Like, Worf has a personal disagreement with Duras because he killed uh, uh, Kaylair. And, yes. you know, you see that on the bridge of his ship because at first Duras's men are about to, you know, put a beat down on Worf. And then Worf says that Kaylair was his mate. And they're all like, whoa, OK, you do what you need yeah, to do. Yeah, I don't care how discommendated you are. Like you, that that trumps. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's more what the read is there. Hmm. But we'll see. I don't know. Right. It pisses me off. They killed Kaylair. I mean, this is what the Internet calls fridging. And that kind of. I don't know what that means. Basically, when you kill off a a character's girlfriend in order to motivate him to get revenge, and that's her purpose in the episode. It's, I mean, I think she, part of it is because I really fucking liked her, and because I thought she was, I think she is a very interesting character. The scene where she, you know, when she says, you talk like a Ferengi, I mean, that's, you know, she has brass ones. I do like her in that sense. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, she just gets killed off screen as a way to piss off Worf. Well, yeah, but I and think... And as a way to get her from realizing that, you know, the conspiracy and all that, yeah. I, I can certainly see that reading, and I certainly don't disagree with it. But I think the other thing there is the show is a little more subtle than that. And, you know, th- I think there's a couple different reasons why it ended with Kaylair's death. It's it's that they wanted to kill somebody, frankly, yeah. that, that the audience had some attachment to. Yeah, and definitely... In her know. one appearance, she was very popular, and... 
this is not a show that's really going to kill off main cast members no. at this point. And Kaylair is, you know, a, a, they, yeah. that, that was a way to shock the audience, I think, more than anything else. Oh, no, I get that. Um, that's, you know, that's the Firefly thing or whatever. You know, that this is Joss Whedon before Joss Whedon. Yeah. Um, it, it's something that's becoming cliche, frankly. Uh, and then I think the other reason, yeah, and of maybe course, that's part of it is I'm watching this from a 2014 perspective, and you know, yeah, and I, and I think the other thing too is it's it's not just about it's not just about motivating Worf to kill Duras. I think it's about coming up with a a way to end this chapter of the Klingon saga that relates personally to yeah. the characters on our show. I think if it had been if Kaylair had lived and Worf had just kind of gone along with everything and then Duras and, and Galron and, you know, yeah. Picard said, okay, Galron, you're now the chancellor. That would have felt like a very unsatisfying ending because it wouldn't really have had anything to do with our characters. No. So. And I get, no, I, it's it's the kind of thing where, and I think a lot of it is, damn, I'm not good to see her again. Yeah. That is a lot of it. Like, it would be. Although it is a science fiction show, so anything is possible. Yeah, True. One other thing I do want to say about Reunion before we move on to Future Imperfect is that this was co-written by Ronald D. Moore, who wrote Sins of the Father. Um, okay. He's the guy who really likes Klingons and yeah. you know, writes all the Klingon episodes. So a lot of the continuity is probably his you – know, that may have been even his original plan when he started writing that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and it was co-written by uh, Brannon Braga, who becomes a very important figure in the Star Trek franchise. And I will just leave it there for now. Does he play Tuvok? No. I will give this episode seven and a half curved hooky blades out of ten. That is called a batleth. And I will give it eight batleths. Which is high for me because I'm not a big fan of Klingons. Okay. I can see from watching this, by the way, why the phrase, oh, a Klingon episode is a thing. But I still like the Klingons at this point. Okay. I can see them wearing out their welcome, though. I'm, I'm happy for your wide-eyed optimism. Let's talk about Future Imperfect. This is probably, well, Remember Me, I guess, was sort of one of our high-concept general sci-fi episodes in this season. Yeah. And this is another one. There was a lot, you know, this episode reminded me a lot of Corbomite Maneuver, by the way. Why? Because it's a situation which appears to be very dangerous, but it turns out to be a cute little adorable alien doing it the whole time. Oh, all right. I'll go with that. Yeah, sure. like it was it's an episode that the stakes appear to be much 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 higher than they were and at the end just turns out to be a lonely alien looking for a friend. Um and I liked this episode because of that. <laughs> this is one of I, I this is an episode that I like. Um I watched quite a bit. I revisited yeah. a lot. Yeah. You know, I I I think it's it should it should feel very slight. Like, it doesn't yeah. really have much of a point, um, and it doesn't really have a lot of, I guess, stakes, if we want to call it that. Uh, but for some, whatever reason, I think the episode's ending is what really knocks it out of the park. And yeah. it, you know, it's a very small thing, but the episode, I think, sells the ending. And yeah. it works. You know, this episode is interesting. I think it's a very charming episode in a lot of ways. It's not unimportant episode i doubt that we will you know we talk about the show can pick up any thread if we do not see that alien ever again i will not be surprised he is a very obvious 30 second character right that said um i mean this episode has several plots in it in a way i mean it keeps taking the bottom out and revealing more of a situation and every single one of those is interesting and is a little more higher stakes than the last and i like that a lot because it keeps it was a very watchable episode. You know, there was not a not a point when I was bored or when I could predict what was happening next. And sometimes, I mean, that's really nice. Well, I guess, you know, since I've seen this episode before, obviously, you yes. know, were, were you able to pick up on any sort of subtle clues that this was not actually happening? Or I mean, I thought, you know, I, I, I did figure out when, when they had the Romulans in, I thought, OK, this has to be some kind of Romulan trick. But what? And then when they were in, you know, then he's, you know, is this a holodeck? Is this a hypnosis kind of thing? You know, what's going on? Then when it reveals, oh, you were in a computer holodeck, you know, and that's going on, I begin to think, oh, my God, he's in a deeper holodeck. Like, it was the kind of thing where I could sort of see it a few minutes before the reveal, and the reveal in each case turned out to be a little more interesting than 
like I, I was I couldn't, you know, get the in the entire picture. And yeah. I liked that because it it's the kind of thing which makes you feel like, all right, cool, I'm smart because I figured it out, but still surprised. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And I think, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, there's no way that this would have actually been the show going forward. Like, they no. weren't going to make this huge of a change, you know, midway through no. the fourth season. So, you know, but but then what? what's the, you know, when when it first happened, I thought there was going to, maybe there would be a time travel at the end. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Or, you know, how could he reverse or does he get cute? You know, like, there could be any one of a number of ways that they could reverse this situation, but... You know, he's trapped in the Matrix, of course. Star Trek, as a general rule, makes time travel obvious. So yeah. I don't think that there was ever any real possibility that this was going to actually be time travel. Because yeah. it's, it's it's the type of franchise that if it's going to be a time travel episode, that's going to be very clear. Usually um, in the first five minutes, oh, we're going to go back in time and meet, you know, uh, Joan Collins. Or, you know, we're going to go back and die to, you know, the ultimate I, version of the... Yeah, and what I think is interesting is, as well is that, you know, Next Generation hasn't really done time travel before. I mean, aside from yesterday's Enterprise, which didn't feature time travel by our characters, but instead a, an alternate timeline yeah. created by time travelers, um, they haven't done it, which is weird because that was such an integral part of the original series. Now, the yeah, original yeah. series did, I don't know, three, four, five episodes about time travel. And, uh, and even the movie. And yeah, one of the movies did an episode, uh, a movie about time travel, not an episode. So that's interesting in and of itself. So so maybe this is their episode about time travel. Turns out not to be. But, you know, what I like about this episode on a, on a rewatch is that I noticed that there's a lot of subtle clues that this is not reality that I don't think you would pick up on a first viewing. Yeah. You know, there are things like... Riker's son being named Jean-Luc, for example, which doesn't really seem like it makes sense. Uh, Troy saying that the Admiral was very happy when he yeah. was named Jean-Luc. That doesn't seem like something that Picard would like. I think that Picard would find that he would be embarrassing. Yeah. So, you know, there's little things you know, there, like that. And, uh, yeah, and I like that there were, yeah, there were a lot, of, there were a couple notes that I, uh, you know, wrote down that like later they explained and like it, it's funny how half-assed the explanations get. Like they don't yeah. like you know when, when he uh, first meets John Luke. Like my thing was like, wait, why the fuck didn't they tell him? Well, by the way, you have a son because like even for the kids' benefit, like you know you would. And then you know Troy's like, well, we thought that you know it would be and like that did, that wasn't a very satisfying explanation but like there were a couple of things that i thought okay well that was just done to make the scene more interesting or you know to have the shock and you know whatever like it seemed stuff that was didn't make logical sense but worked from a storytelling standpoint yeah and but were further but then all were explained by the fact that well this is a simulation playing catch up basically yeah absolutely and i think you know there's there's certain things about it which i find really intriguing you know for example the fact that you know, most of the crew is the same. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, Troy and Picard, for some reason, on a Romulan ship. You know, who knows? I mean, and so you get this kind of, you know, we know at the end of the episode that this is all created by something going into Riker's brain and sort of creating yeah. this nice fantasy for him. And, you know, it, 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 it might have something to say about what Riker feels like and what he actually wants. I don't know. Like, you know, is it actually meaningful that the two people that left the enterprise are Picard so that he's in charge and Troy, his erstwhile girlfriend, you know, so and the fact that, you know, I, I mean, well, you know, does, does he actually want distance from Troy? You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Do we know? I don't know. She's in a uniform, which I find interesting. And yet it's funny that, you know, when we talk about, you know, Riker's wife, you know, you know, Troy says, well, she was a ship's counselor. And like the implication yeah. was that, you know, she left in her replacement and, you know, without all of the history behind him, he was able to be attracted to the same type of woman and yet, you know, kind of start from scratch, you know. And I love that we got a very brief glimpse of Minuet again. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's one of those things that I think, you know, this episode sort of, you know, it, this is a general just kind of like one and done. This is, a yeah. very, this is closed off. This is a, this yeah. is over. But you see that the show is still very willing and able to yeah. reach way back. I mean, all the way back to a first season episode that I doubt many people even would have remembered yeah. or saw 
to to be the lynch point for why you know how Riker realizes that he's actually in this sort of holodeck fantasy. That was kind of brilliant, I thought. And you know, and I mean that uh, that even gives him a further little bit of because you know. I mean, the, the bit when the Romulan commander is talking about Minuet to him, I mean, I'm fairly sure that that's the, either the simulation or this alien, you know, talking through the, you know. Sure. Because he, you know, it is genuinely curious, how did you figure that out? And he says, you know, you know, we, we reached, you know, and that was in your mind, you know, she was this woman there and she was more real. And I mean, Riker still thinks of her as, when, when a simulation scans Riker's brain and looks for his conception of the ideal woman, it's still Minuet. It's Minuet combined with Troy. Yeah. In some yeah, weird way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, and also the fact that, that he has a son. I mean, sort of that it's an incidental because there's this alien there. But also that alien could have been anybody, right? Yeah. So I think that's interesting as well. Um, you know, and also, frankly, the fact that, that you know, Worf doesn't seem all that important here. But Data is the, is the, the first officer. You know, Jordy doesn't have his visor. You yeah. know, and some of this is just to make it feel different for the audience. But some of it, I think, is 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 of a deeper importance. You know, Riker thinking about certain things the way he thinks about things. Yeah. I think, you know, um, this is how he would want his ship to be. Perhaps it's just interesting how Jordy is very much not himself in this episode. I mean, he he's from what we've seen, and again, they haven't really gone onto this note with Jordy in a while, but. You know, it made it clear enough in the first and second season that Jordy does not want to be fixed in a way. Let's, you know, say that. So, um, and he's also very short-tempered and very ignored. Like, Jordy doesn't act like himself in there. Everybody's acting odd, but he kind of acted the oddest. Yeah, and I think, you know, some of that, of course, is just due to the fact that, that you know, it wasn't, eight, maybe, you know, maybe, frankly, I think there's some degree to which these are the characters that Riker knows the least, right? Yeah. Like, we don't see Riker and Jordy hanging out a lot. I mean, you know? that's his even maybe his impressions of the characters. To yeah, yeah, like, Riker does. You know, Riker thinks of Jordy as the one who's not getting something done right now when he thinks of him at all. Right, exactly. You know, and and and, and what does that mean about Worf, for instance, where? He doesn't really talk to Worf. I mean, he and Worf have a different relationship, and I think they actually do have a relationship. I don't know if I would consider it a friendship, but. No. There's a degree to which I think that there's a there's a there's a, a a wall between them, or maybe some some distance, and so they're not they don't really warm up to each other personally. But I think you know, Worf certainly thinks of Riker as somebody who's worth worthy of being yeah. listened to, yeah. and you know, Riker thinks Worf has earned his post. I mean, that may be about as far as they really think of each other. They don't really need to be closer to each other. I mean, they wouldn't they probably wouldn't be closer to each other they don't have that much in common you know they're not yeah no i think so yeah and i guess the other thing too that is is interesting about the the first part of the episode is that you know the 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 sort of future that that it creates is is i think unsatisfying to Riker, and it almost creates the assumption that Riker wants to get out of it you know i think if you know why isn't his wife still alive for example like you know these kind of questions are are interesting and of course you can go and say well the wife isn't alive because the child is actually the alien his mother died and that's all obvious but at the time it's like you know it seems to be creating this environment for for Riker to to want to escape from I mean also this alien is the 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 mother is dead because the alien's mother is dead I mean we have this yeah yeah in these in these yeah, in the sense, in the alien is reliving it, the trauma of its mother's death, which let him alone. And, of course, that's going to be foremost in his mind when he's doing something to kind of replace companionship. I don't know. I, um, I guess so, yeah. It, it, yeah. You know, I think, and, and the other thing, too, is, is, is weird, is that, you know, it's it's set up with... Riker's birthday at the very beginning of the episode and we've also seen a lot of stuff from Riker about getting his own command and turning it down and yeah you know we saw the best of both worlds is the most recent example of that and you know what what does this actually say about the passage of time do things change that much you know Beverly Crusher is still there it seems like the most it this is the future if everybody has inertia if everybody just kind of goes along I mean Beverly Crusher can stay as the doctor on whatever ship she wants to for as long as she wants. You know, I mean, she's said from the very from the pilot, you know, she has that kind of, you know, power over her own career. You know, 
Riker, if he just kind of goes along, he will be promoted to captain at some point. Picard will be an ambassador at some point, you know. He probably could and would pick Troy to be, you know, at his side. You know, this is basically everybody, if they don't make any moves, then they live very conservatively. And I guess it's an unsatisfying future because it's such an expected future for everybody. I mean, this is the most... The only really surprising thing that happens to any of them is Jordy gets his visor off. Yeah, I guess so. The only thing that's, you know, a little surprising, you know? And I also wonder, like, you know, how how the Romulans factor into this. Because it seems interesting to me that... Is 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 this the alien species that Riker fear, fears the most? I mean, you know what what is the because there's no real reason why it has to be the Romulans, yeah. right? Um, you know, and so is it just because they are the the, the and here threat? We, here we have another character being brought back for a you know another appearance, but um, what's his name? The ambassador Tomahawk. Tom Tomahawk. Um, of course he's not real, but no, but I mean we still have. Uh, uh, Again, for the sh- the show pulled back, it pulled out a character that we have seen before, you know, and that's kind of nice. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of that just has to do with the fact that this is all coming from Riker's brain, yeah. of course, and so he's going to actually have characters that are, yeah. he's met before, you know, the... the uh, that's the interesting thing, I think, is that the, the, the simulation doesn't really seem to be able to create believable characters out of whole cloth, and maybe that's really the reason why the the... the the mother is dead, you know, because the alien, I think, yes, the alien is, is obviously, we don't know a lot about the alien. We don't know a lot about the motivations of the alien or anything like that. But, you know, it, it seems as though on the one hand, the alien has a lack of, of mother in the simulation because it doesn't want to be reminded of his mother's death. But on the other hand, you could make the argument that the alien would perhaps want to have a simulation of a mother because yeah. then at least he would have a family again. And so, you know, maybe the real reason is just that the simulation isn't good enough at creating people that nobody knows, right? Yeah. There doesn't seem to be any sort of like, yes, we see a Klingon officer walking down the hall and we, we see, see a Ferengi. Ferengi and things like that, but they don't talk. We don't see them. I don't think anybody in the episode actually talks unless we've actually seen them in real life before. Yeah. And that there's some sort of personality in, ingrained in, in Riker's memory. So I find that kind of intriguing as well. Yeah, I think it feeds into as well what Riker feels about the Romulans, of course. Yeah. Because... I mean, I really honestly, I, I think to a degree all this simulation did was, you know, kind of trigger, all right, 16 years in the future, what's your life going to be? And, you know, this is kind of just the subconscious, yeah, where where he's at. I mean... Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem like, you know, for example, with with the Romulans, I mean, Riker obviously has never trusted the Romulans, doesn't really like the Romulans, doesn't feel comfortable with Tomalock. You know, when when the ship appears, he you know raises the shields and Data has to talk him out of doing that. And I guess really what that is about is it's this other layer of distrust that's running throughout the episode where I think it's it's much easier for Riker to realize what's going on once the alien misspeaks and calls Tomalock ambassador. Yeah. But there has to be a way out of it, of course, you know, and, and, and I don't think that another alien species that we had never seen before would have worked or even, you know, the Ferengi or something like that. It just seems like that is a good way for them to make this happen. I mean, the Romulans, yeah, are still kind of the big force behind the scenes, you know, now, now that the, uh, the Borg will always be a thing, but the Borg have been, you know, neutralized for the moment. Yeah. The Romulans are still around. Yeah. And I like that they're doing stuff with Romulans. Even yeah. if it's imaginary, I like the thought that, you know, they're still in the background and still lurking and they haven't moved their hand yet. Yeah, well, I mean, the the, the Next Generation has, has done more with the Romulans than the original series ever did, certainly. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Romulans, I feel like, are always kind of an underutilized race in the star trek franchise i think probably the next generation does the most with them okay um they're fine i mean you know i don't really have much of an opinion about the romulans one way or the other they're always just kind of like the the default thing when no one can think of anyone else right now they have the same kind of role that the klingons did in the first you know season first series yeah i can see that you know, they're just the vaguely characterized, you know, bad guy. Yeah, I think so. 
I mean, you know, and, and, and I guess, I don't know. It just feels like the more we talk about this, the less there is to say. It's just, I think it's a, this is a tough episode to talk about just because the only real character in the entire episode is Riker. And so we're talking a lot about Riker and his reactions yeah. to things and what he thinks about the people. But And again, you know, most of the stuff, you know, we can't really talk that much about the, you know, we could talk about the implications in the previous episode of, well, what does the Klingon and Romulan's alliance mean? Because that is something real. That is something that is happening. That is, you know, the Romulans are still legitimately planning something. And hey, frankly, maybe that's, you know, where the Romulans are coming from in this episode, because it's not impossible that this is the, you know, a couple days after the events of uh, uh, of Reunion. Sure. And, you know, he just has Romulans on the brain and can't put Klingons as the bad guy anymore. Um, but, but in this, any plans that the Romulans are making are imaginary, you know, so they're, they're just, they just can be substituted with generic Romulans plotting something, which we knew was happening anyway. And so it doesn't really advance any of that mythology any further. It's well, it couldn't, I mean, none of this happened. No, again. So this episode is a very self-contained, it's a well, it's a very well-constructed episode. It's a very well-written episode. It's an interesting episode, but it is just kind of about its own mechanics. Yeah, in a way, yeah. I think it's it's very similar to, um, for example, a matter of perspective from the third season, yeah. where it's all about plot mechanics and it's all about the one character's interpretation of events. But and, and interestingly enough, that was Riker as well. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you can't really take a lot out from this episode because none of this stuff actually happened. No. So we're left with. Well, Riker feels certain ways about certain characters. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, maybe Riker wants to have a son. We could say that. Uh, but are there any long-term ramifications from this episode? Probably not. No, there's, none of these events are going to radically change his character. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I like I will... that it ended with the nice little alien happy and finding, you know, going to find his place in the world. Yeah. So that made me happy, and I would give it... Eight Bantha. See, I remembered what it was called. Wow. I'll give it uh, five. Good. All right. Well, next week we are talking about Final Mission, the last final goodbye of a character that we have come to know and tolerate. <gasps> Who and could the, it be? And the loss. So we'll see you then. <laughs>